OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. Why do we as a country put so much into this World Junior Hockey Championship? Because we are Canada. And let me tell you right now. But why not the under 18s or the under 17s? Time of year? You think? Yeah. I think so. I mean, the under 18s, probably the better of the examples in the international style of play. And I, I'll grant you the under 17s are too. But at the under 17s, we get like two Team Canadas or two Team Ontarios and things like that. So it's not quite the same. Uh, under 18s being in the summertime certainly would lend itself to distractions that are other than hockey. So I think the time of year has a lot to do with it. Here's why. Okay. Because the majority of people in this country believe they know everything there is to know about the game of hockey, right or wrong, and everything there is about their NHL team. And just about every player on Team Canada has been drafted. So every person at home that is a Montreal Canadiens fan is... Cousins of the best friend of the neighbor of Nick Suzuki. And they think they know everything about Nick Suzuki's game. If there is more than five people in Ontario that knew Maxime Comtois about or Maxime Comtois about his game or how good he was on a shootout, I'll pay him a hundred bucks. Because it's, it's, it's not. They just, everyone pretends like they're the smartest person when it comes to World Junior Time. That's why I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the tournament. Because we are so invested in and connected to the junior game, it kind of drives me a little bit crazy at all these Johnny-come-latelys that are suddenly interested in junior hockey. I think I told the story on one of our broadcasts on 570 News of a Kitchener Rangers game, but... Coming into this year's tournament, there was a TV reporter, looked like she was at Real Sports in Toronto. Mm -hmm. What I know for sure is that she was in a bar and she talked to a father and a son, both wearing Leafs jerseys, talking about how they were looking forward to the tournament this year because they wanted to see the game played when it's not yet about the money. And then the son chimed in with, I want to see the guys that are going to be in the NHL someday. And I'm thinking to myself, you two lug nuts wearing your Leafs jerseys. So you are in the GTA, one would assume. If I'm right about real sports, you're in downtown Toronto. Do you know that 45 minutes from where you are sitting doing this report on television with the reporter that's there at the bar, Owen Tippett plays 34 times a ding-dang season. So that, that kind of bothers me. A little bit, but I do love that junior hockey, the level of the game, the game itself that I love so much, gets all of the attention that it gets at this time. I love it too, and I think it deserves the attention that it gets. Well, that's the thing. That's why I have the hate part <clears throat> yeah, of the relationship. In the, in the positive light, but I, obviously with Team Canada losing, spoiler alert to Team Finland, and Maxime Comtois missing on a penalty shot. Everyone's like, oh, where was Owen Tippett? Why didn't they put Morgan Frost in there? As if everyone is an expert on how good Maxime Comtois is on a shootout. Like, stop pretending you know stuff that you don't. It's okay to not know. 
It's okay to not know. I, does anyone remember the tournament Maxime Comtois had last last year? No, you don't. Because he wasn't a superstar. He wasn't, the top, wasn't on the top line. He had a great tournament. He was one of the best players on the ice for the most part for Canada throughout the tournament. Yeah, you could have... That's the, the, the hardest part for Tim Hunter. Looking down at a bunch of All-Stars being like, who do I throw out on the shootout? If it was Nick Suzuki or Morgan Frost or Owen Tippett for that matter, and he misses, the same people are going to be saying the same thing. Oh, why didn't they use Maxime Comtois? He had four goals in the opening game. It's just, I hate the hatred that we all have. It always goes straight to the negative. How about the tournament as a whole? How about the fact that, you know, this is the game of hockey. This is what we've built. Look at the fans there. They were It was outstanding. How about talking more about the Swiss team upsetting Sweden? I think it's a great story that Canada got knocked out. I hate seeing it, but it's a great story. Sweden and Canada both gone in the in the quarters. Like, what? Welcome to the World Juniors where you never know. And it's okay that you don't know. It, it drives me nuts because everyone just goes straight to that negative. I never want to be in a situation here in Canada where we do not go into a tournament expecting to medal. Probably expecting to gold medal. I don't want to live in a world where that's not a thing. So I am 100% okay with the expectations. Coming in, we expect to win gold because, gosh darn it, we're Canada. Fine with that. If five countries don't go in there expecting to win gold, why are they going? Right? Like, I get it. Switzerland? Yeah, sure. Denmark probably understands they're not winning gold. But the rest of them, go win gold. That's your job. In this case, obviously with the Comtois thing, we we need something to dissect, pick apart. It's not like Gretzky was left on the bench in a shootout, okay? And I fully, fully support Tim Hunter's decision in this regard because, yeah, he would have seen the move that Comtois was making in practice, the best shootout guy they may have had. And even if he wasn't, who cares? You had any choice. Personally, personally, and I don't mean for this to come across as a criticism to Hunter, but I would have given it to Bouchard just because I think Evan Bouchard kind of owned that overtime. Yeah. Despite the way it finished, Evan Bouchard was a beast out there. But again, who cares? It doesn't matter which player you picked off that bench to take the shot, the penalty shot. You had an excellent choice. That doesn't matter. Any one of those 20 guys, you're fine. So whatever. We're going we're gonna to nitpick some things, so nitpick them. But I don't care one bit who took that shot. Anyone could have taken it, and guess what? Uko Pekalukanen could have stopped any one of them. He made it look easy, didn't he? Jeepers. Uh, he made it look easy. I think, yes, of co- that's our nature to nitpick things. I just think it's so easy to just target one person, and the abuse that he has went through on social media is a just, I'm not even going to get into it, because you're a loser. If, you, if you've said anything negative about him on his personal page or on your page, you're a loser. He's a hockey player. Stop attacking the person. You're a loser. Well, Put it down. And I, I saw this too, and again, it came up as these are kids. I, I need for that to stop. Yeah. The sooner the better. Because you know what? If if this was, well, not that, well, yeah, it, was, it could have been a penalty shot in a Stanley Cup game, okay? I don't care if you're a multimillionaire playing the game for all the money, okay? You sitting on your couch 
cheering for or against another team. You can't do that. Yep. You can't skate from center ice <laughs> and make a move on a goaltender in the National Hockey League or at the World Juniors. That's why you're a loser. Shut up. Just, yes, Canada lost. But I'm with you. The whole drop the kids thing. If yeah. you If you rip an athlete, I mean, flat out rip that individual for not scoring on the penalty shot, not hitting the home run when it mattered, not making the catch, whatever it happens to be, shut your face. Unless unless you were on that team. I don't even know. I'll go, just I'll go, a, step you, I'll go a step even further. I, I don't care. I don't care if he's a 50-year-old. I don't care if he, he works out at the Toyota plant. Going online and telling someone that they should commit suicide or get AIDS, you're a loser. Stop it. It's a game. There's bigger things in life, man. Well, and that's the that's absolutely the extreme. But if you if you even say we may have seen some different posts on social media, but even if you say you're the worst hockey player ever oh, to skate, yeah, yeah. like just yeah. stop. You what didn't are deserve you doing? to be captain. Like, yeah, okay. Honestly. <laughs> um I, I think that like yes, that was the one pivotal moment because it is that, you know, uh, penalty shot in overtime. Of course, right? The stick breaking, unfortunate. Game was done. It was it was ball game. Wide open net and that pass goes across and the stick breaks. I, I think the bigger issue, and I think this is where I, I believe criticism is okay. If you're looking at certain aspects, concentrating on one player and saying you lost it for our country, <laughs> stop it. I think the power play was awful. The penalty kill I thought was good, but there's a lot of standing around in the defensive zone. I'm okay with saying that. I I, I tweeted Entwistle, Studnika, and Valino were the best line, I thought, that Canada had, and they had maybe two shifts in the third. I think there were some decisions that probably I would have made different, and that's okay for me to say, and I think it's okay to criticize stuff like that, but to say the things people are saying and to pinpoint the game on one decision, it's a 60-minute hockey game. Canada scored one goal. That, that crop of forwards, we, I, we talked about it on the broadcast, on the Kitchen Rangers broadcast that we do. That every year at Christmas, everyone wants to ask me, oh, what about the World Juniors? Because I cover junior hockey. And I said, looking at the forward group alone, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how Canada loses. Like, there's a lot of firepower there. It wasn't there. Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet pointed it out after the fact. And yes, of course it's okay to criticize or question or point out deficiencies. That top line of which Maxime Contois was a part, mm. had it combined for 14 points. Ten of them came in the road over Denmark. So, fellas, top line, four points over the next three games. Mm. So that tells you four games, because there's three more in the round robin yeah. plus the quarterfinal game. But that notwithstanding, I'm glad you brought up the whole decision-making protest, uh, process. What do you think of the team coming into the tournament? Because I will say this, and I've given it some thought in the 24 hours or so since the Canada lost as we record this episode of the Farwell and Pull podcast. I, I remember vividly the essentially 2014 team, but it would have been the 2013-14 junior season coming into the Christmas of 2013. That was the year that Max Domi did not even get an invitation to Team Canada for the World Juniors. And I remember this so vividly because we were on a road trip with the Kitchener Rangers and I was still working with Don Cameron. And I remember being in the hotel and Don and I were supposed to go out for lunch and I had to take a moment because 
me and I had to be on Twitter and share my thoughts on this. But I made the point then, and I wasn't the only one to do so, that Canada, Hockey Canada at the time, in my opinion, and in the opinion of others, was trying too hard to fill various roles on the team. And the point I made then was, stop that. Just take the best damn players you can get, and then when you get them to camp, tell them what role you want them to play. Because you know what? They'll be able to do it because they're the very best players. And I guess that criticism sunk in because since that time, Hockey Canada seems to have just gone with, just give me give me the best 18, give me the best 22, 23 guys I can put on a roster, and we're going to go with that. And they have been, and I have zero, absolutely for whatever it's worth, I have zero qualms with the team that was selected this year. Sometimes we just have to recognize that there are other good hockey teams. Sometimes it might just be a really good goaltender, which I think to some degree is the case with Finland and Uko Pekka I could go on, but Hockey Canada seems to be getting it right as far as I'm concerned. Yep, Canada lost and it sucks. Don't ever give up the expectation. I don't ever want to live in a world where we're not expected to medal and gold medal at that, but let's just move on. It's a great tournament. It's been some great hockey, and there's still some great hockey to come. I'm with you. I, I think that you, like, well, I listed that fourth line. The likes of yeah. Andwistle, Studnika, and Valino all on the fourth line. Like, they can play that role, and they played it really well. But then they're going to go back to the respective teams and be the top top guy, or maybe a new team, depending. Oh, what are you trying to say, Popper? It might be that time of year in the oh. Ontario Hockey League. I love that sound effect. <laughs> we should get that sound effect sponsored. That, by the way, is simply Chris Pope blowing into a microphone. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Top of the line stuff here on the Farwell and Pope podcast. We should just make quick reference. I'm Pope at Twitter, at underscore Chris Pope, and that is Farwell on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. The trade deadline looms January the 10th. I have a feeling, and... I said this to you before we began recording this episode of the podcast, that this particular podcast is going to date itself in a hurry because the trades are coming, especially once the World Junior freeze thaws and those players who are competing at the World Juniors, whether they've been eliminated from the tournament yet or not, uh, can be moved in the Ontario Hockey League. But it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. We already know that uh, the Guelph Storm have run into some problems, and Tony Saxon, who covers the Storm for Guelph today, does an excellent job on the beat. He's been on it for a long time, and he documented that there were certainly issues with Ryan Merkley off the ice. That helps to explain why a former first overall pick in the Ontario Hockey League and a guy that still went in the first round because he's got that much talent to the San Jose Sharks was deemed expendable by George Burnett in Guelph, and off he goes to uh, the Peterborough Peets for Pavel Gogolev. And then tag Bertuzzi. Apparently there was uh, there was an unhappy Bertuzzi family, uh, I guess with the way tag perhaps was being used, and he gets shipped off to Hamilton, and, and here we go in Guelph. It's going to be interesting to see what the Storm have in mind for this deadline because we know that the window does not stay open very long in this league. And I, I think this is Guelph's turn in the cycle to try to make some noise. I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen down highway seven. I'm with you. And I, I think, I don't know. I, I'm of the belief that I don't know what Guelph does knowing George Burnett's history. 
I think that they do need to do something, but I don't know if they're willing to go back to where they were just a few years ago by moving a bunch of picks. I think that that Guelph team is going to be one of the teams that waits till the very end and picks up some scraps, if you will. Those scraps are going to be very tasty scraps this year, but I think that they probably wait till the end and pick up, find find the the second-tier guys, if you will, um, and the ones that aren't going to cost them as much. Well, you got to remember, one of the reasons that Guelph bottomed out the way that it did is because they never did move Ryan Fabry yep. when they had the opportunity to do so, but Fabry... And Tyler had, Bertuzzi. Right, had the no-movement clause, and, and so it is what it is. Uh, they paid for those transgressions, but I, I think right now you've got you've to make your move. You've got to shoot your shot because the window is going to close. I, I don't know. It, it will be interesting for sure. I'm with you. And everyone knows that. Robbie Fabry and Tyler Bertuzzi should I have been traded. I called him Ryan. I, I worked with a guy, Ryan oh, Fabro. I always get him. Fabro, I love you, you, buddy. We know who you um, I, They should have been moved. But I don't, I don't think Guelph's... I think Guelph's almost good enough now they can still make some noise. And I think that's the belief in Guelph. That as long as we're in the pack and we're there, we're going to trust our guys. And I, I, I think... Well, we talked about it. The Merkley trade, for me, obviously, you could talk for days about Ryan Merkley, just how good of a player he is and how much of a circus he can he can lead to off the ice and on the ice sometimes. Um, but I think you put up with him for how long? And then you trade him in the year that you're going for it? But George Burnett didn't put up with him all that time, right? He put up with him last year. For sure. And part of this year. So why wouldn't you trade him last year? That like there was much talk about what he was or wasn't last year, and then you wait till he's drafted, and then in the year that you're supposed to be going, like if if he's that bad, do you want him next to the rookies that you brought in this year? Do you want him next to Tag Bertuzzi? Obviously not. So I mean, I it, the timing of it seemed really off for me, really off. So there had to there's something that we didn't that we don't know as far as I'm concerned. There's something that happened that we don't know that was the the straw that broke the camel's back for me because they were they were willing to put up with Merkley because he's a difference maker 98% of the time. We've since seen him on the ice. The Peterborough Peets were in Kitchener on New Year's Day and Ryan Merkley did as Ryan Merkley does and took himself an unsportsmanlike penalty by lipping off to the referee late in that game. So uh, we'll see what happens in Guelph. As we record this today... Uh, Ryan McLeod has been moved from the Mississauga Steelheads to the surging Saginaw Spirit. What is it? Three thirds, a second, Duncan Penman, Duncan Penman, and a conditional second that back to Mississauga in that deal. It's a big move for Mississauga, or uh, pardon me, for Saginaw. It solidifies that they're going, they're making a push. I shouldn't say, I should stop saying going for it because they're making a push. They want to contend. They believe this is a year that they're going to add assets. I don't think they're done adding assets, um, but Ryan McLeod is a big asset for them, both in size and in talent. And it provides, because we've seen Saginaw a few times, they they have some good, very good forwards. They don't have a lot of really big forwards, like those big towering guys. Ryan McLeod is a big towering guy, and he's going to add some size and grit to that Saginaw hockey team that's obviously very good already. Just coming off a uh, Cole Kosky six-point performance, so uh, why not some more offense there, Saginaw? <laughs> Just in time for the Rangers to run into them, by the way. We'll yeah. be in the uh, Dow Event Center this coming weekend. But I, I think a lot of people have suggested that next year will be Saginaw's perhaps best opportunity, but this window is opening. And listen, why not? Somebody, somebody in the Western Conference 
has to step up and say to the London Knights, we're not just going to gift it to you. Because London was good. They got a whole lot gooder, I say deliberately, when Bouchard and Formanton were returned from the National Hockey League. And they are a team that has shown a willingness to add. Just looked it up. Saginaw with uh, Ryan McLeod now has one, two, three, four, five forwards over six foot. So relatively small up front, but Ryan McLeod obviously adds to it. And as you mentioned, I'm still of the firm belief that the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds don't have a choice in the matter. They need to trade their assets. They're not like the storm where they're, they, you know, they could probably get by without making a move for some of those guys. They need to move these guys. There's no other option for Kyle Raftis in my mind. They need to recoup some draft picks and they have the assets to do it. They cannot afford to sit in second place and hope that they make it to another Western Conference final. I, I really don't think they can, even in second place, especially with what Saginaw did with McLeod and what you know, you're expecting them to continue to do here moving forward. Um, I, I, I think that the Sioux is going to fall off because of some trades, i.e. Valalta and Frost, or at least one of them. I could, I could see them maybe keeping Valalta if you wanted and just hope that your your goaltending can you know win you a round or at least a couple games in the playoffs and move Frost and move Sambrook and maybe even Howdeshell. But I, I, I still think Saginaw's got all the tools to, to end up at the top of the West Division. If you're talking about moves, though, the likes of that in Sault Ste. Marie, you're essentially talking about a fire sale. I don't Absolutely. know about that. I don't know about that. They don't have a choice. I really don't think they do. I, you, you're probably not going to get rid of all of your overagers, but you're certainly listening if someone's calling about Keaton Howdeshell or a, a defenseman like Sam Brook, and especially Frost, aren't you? Oh, of course. You're always listening. And Oh, no, I don't think you're listening. I think you're writing down. And I think you're, you're, you're negotiating. Because it is a, in my opinion, buyer's market this year, you know, based on what Sault Ste. Marie went out and did last year to acquire Sam Brook and Radish, for example, it was Hayden Fowler and nine picks or some such thing. You ain't getting all of that back in one fell swoop this year. That's for sure. Not in what one, no, but a couple. Sure. And you're sitting pretty moving forward. It, it's not their year. They went for it the, what, the last three or three of the last four. They moved a lot. They need to get something back or it's going to be tough sledding up in the Sioux for the Greyhounds. As much as it pains me to be indecisive, I really am as far as the Sioux is concerned. I just, I can't, I can't tell which way Kyle Raftis may be leaning. You make a, a really compelling case for the movement of players out and the reacquisition of, of draft picks. And I feel the same way as we move to our home club, the Kitchener Rangers, when Chase Campbell was first released by the Rangers. My thinking was, well, this just allows now general manager Mike McKenzie to add a veteran presence that's going to, with no disrespect intended to Chase Campbell, but that's going to contribute more or at least differently than Chase Campbell was for this young-ish, not young, but young-ish, inexperienced certainly, hockey club in Kitchener. I thought the veteran presence might be there to help kind of 
get them over the tough games that are still ahead in the second half. And, you know, who knows what happens when playoff time rolls around should the Rangers still be in that playoff position, which, of course, I think they will be. But I, I've kind of backed away from that and thought, I don't know, you've got guys like Carter Tresser and Graham Dickerson that have been platooning in and out of the lineup. And uh, who who knows if, if they want to just give youth an opportunity to really get some ice time in the second half of the season. And I think the most difficult part from Mike McKenzie's perspective is you've got guys that we've talked about that will come back as overagers next year in Jonathan Yances, Greg Morales, Nick McHugh, Luke Richardson, Luke Richardson. Uh, we're missing one in there. Joe Gareffa can't keep all five next year. So do you try to make a move now before you're really up against it in the summer and people can kind of pick at your carcass or do you, do you wait and take these guys through the rest of the year? The problem is going to be, again, much like we just talked about with Sault Ste. Marie, what do you deem value for a player that you're going to move or you could potentially move that gives another team a year and a half? And also to acknowledge, no disrespect to McHugh or Morellis or Yancis or Gareffa, but they ain't Morgan Frost. No, they're not. No, they are not. I think Mike McKenzie's hands are kind of tied. I think he wants to make a move. I think there's bigger shoes to drop before those players are moved, though, if you want to get proper value for them. And I'd expect those moves to be made before January 10th. So the big moves, you're saying like the Suzuki's of the world and the Hancock's of the world and the Frost's of the world. Ty Delandria's name stays out there. I know it would break our buddy Dom Hennig's heart in Flint, but the name continues to circulate. I just, I don't know if you can. I, I'm so I'm with you, and I he's probably going to be traded. I why wouldn't you if you're Flint? You, you can get some assets back. You need some assets. I just don't know. It, listen, I, whether you can trade him or not, I have a little we on the podcast on December 14th before we took a couple weeks off. We gave out gifts yep. for the Christmas break. I got a little it might not be a gift, just a, some uh, words of wisdom for Barclay Branch. Don't deal with London. It hasn't worked out for you in the past. Do not deal your star player to London. There's my words of wisdom. It hasn't worked out for you in the past. Are you suggesting it's Delandria to London or bust? Listen, no, (laughs) I'm I'm just warning Barclay that, hey, maybe take a look at the trades you've made with London. They're fleecing you. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think you make a good point. Do the big names land somewhere before Mike McKenzie and Kitchener can do yeah. anything? Or do are there teams out there, much like the Guelph Storm that you referenced, and I'm not suggesting there's going to be another Kitchener Rangers Guelph Storm deal. That Giovanni Smith deal last season was silly enough when it comes to the fact that the Highway 7 rivals actually made a, a hockey trade. Which Wasn't they, that great? It was awesome. It was pretty neat. Yeah. It was pretty neat, which they hadn't done prior. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. There might be other teams just looking for the low-cost options. I'm with you. Lower-cost options. Lower cost, for sure. I, but I, either way, I think if there's a trade on the table that makes sense, I think it's... Ha- like it, I shouldn't even say... Of course he's going to make a trade that is on the table if it makes sense. I think he's going to make a trade. I think he might not get the value that he wants. He might have to sell a little lower. But there's no point of going into the offseason, in my mind, with all five unless you're going to make them compete for a spot and then trade them. But there's some big pieces there. We we can sit here till we're blue in the face to try to figure out which three are going to be Kitchener Rangers next year or four at the start of the season. 
We saw Sarnia do it this year, keep four or five at the start of the season, and they got some pretty fair value. I just don't know for Salonitri when they dealt him to Oshawa. I don't know if that's the Rangers' style, though. And I've I've said it before on air. You've said it before. There's a couple Ottawa pieces that dress for the Rangers that would look mighty good in their hometown uniforms going for a Memorial Cup or an OHL championship. I don't know if those are the two that Mike McKenzie wants to move. Those are two pretty big players on this hockey club that lead the way both on the ice and in the dressing room. He's got some tough decisions, and I'm glad I'm not the one making them. Yeah, it's not an easy job. It's so much easier from here for us just to talk about these things and for fans to speculate and say, do this, do that, have a fire sale, whatever the case may be. But, And I'll just say again on the fire sale point, because I've heard the Tank Nation calls in Kitchener already, stop it. Just stop it. It's the worst thing of all time. Oh, just trade everybody and miss the playoffs. No, just it stop works. it. Just, I, that drives me a little bit. Yeah, well, you got to quit doing the post-game show. You, are, you, are you offering to take over? Uh, so, back in the... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we mentioned uh, Ty Delandria and whether the Flint Firebirds will or won't trade their star player. If they do trade Ty Delandria, I think you're winning our bet. The bet was over under 9.5. So if the Flint Firebirds reach 10 victories this season, I owe you a case of beer. Yeah. If they go under 10 victories this season, you owe me a case of beer. And just past the halfway point of this Ontario Hockey League season, the Flint Firebirds have amassed five victories. This is, We're right on the money with the bet. This is going to be a good line all the right? way down to the end. Vegas did a pretty good job of putting the line out there, I think. No? Absolutely. Like, I think it's going to come right down to it. I get a question, and, and we're kind of going back and forth here, but we talked about trading Ty Delandria if you're the Flint Firebirds. What about Jake Durham? He's a 99, so he He's back next year if you want him back. 23 goals for Flint. You can sell high. Listen. For Flint. The Firebirds. He had eight last year. Just added Cody Morgan, former first rounder into the Ontario Hockey League with Kingston, went to Windsor. I'd like to, by the way, know the last time a trade deadline came and went without Warren Reichel making a move or <laughs> several. But uh, Cody Morgan goes down to the, the Flint Firebirds. Maybe Durham's a guy that's there alongside Morgan, to complement the offense in Flint next season. Yeah. Well, he he would be the offense. I'm not going to claim <laughs> to have... He would be the offense. Yeah. He's, he's the only... or Sorry, him and Jack Fibbs are the only 99 forwards eligible to return next year. And you have just become the person to spend the most time, other than Dominic Hennig, their PR and <laughs> media guy, play-by-play guy, than anybody else on the Flint Firebirds website. Well, tough, maybe. tough times this it, year. It is. It's very tough. Um, tough decisions all around the Ontario Hockey League. That's what this time of the year is all about. It's way more fun for the fans. Way more fun for the fans. Really difficult for the general managers. And I don't care if you want to call me a softie or anything like that, but I feel for the players this time of year. I really do. It's, it can't be easy. The good news, though is the next edition of this podcast. Yeah. We record Thursday nights. So the next edition will be on January 10th. That's right. We will have everything in our hands at this point 
next week. The decisions will be made. So the big questions, does Sault Ste. Marie sell or stay? And I am utterly indecisive on that. Sell. And do the Kitchener Rangers add a veteran now that they've released Chase Campbell by opening that spot? Yes. I'm also somewhat indecisive on that. So your answers, I'm leaning the other way. Though I'm not really decisive, I'm leaning the other way on both counts. I think youth is served here in Kitchener. Go get the ice time, young fellas. It's there for you. And uh, Kyle Raftus, let's have a chat. Give me some inside information because I, I, I don't think he's going to sell that farm. Quick question for you. Yeah. We didn't talk about it, but quick question. We'll revisit it next week. Who makes the bigger move in the Eastern Conference, the Niagara Ice Dogs or the Ottawa 67s? You're leaving the Sudbury Wolves out of it completely? Yep. The Niagara Ice Dogs. We'll find out next week. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope Podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope Podcast originates from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.